Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of June 13th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 16. So we continue this morning our look, our journey through this book. Last week we had a guest speaker. We had uh, the uh, gentleman who was a missionary uh, to the region of the world that we call South Asia. We were glad to hear from him and get a glimpse as to what the work of God is that's going on in that part of the world. And he actually took much of what he said last week from the book of Acts. I found that encouraging and strengthening. I hope you did as well. A couple weeks ago when we were last here, we were in Acts chapter 15. And as we were in Acts chapter 15, we saw what was a defining moment for the church. There was a battle for the gospel of grace. Was the early church going to succumb to this idea that you were only saved if you were a, a Jew first? In that sense that you had to be circumcised. You had to obey the, the dietary laws and go through the rituals of the Old Testament Jews. Or were you going to be saved by grace alone in Jesus Christ? And that battle was fought and discussed and debated. And the early church in Acts chapter 15 we saw landed on the side of grace. It was a defining moment that made it possible for the gospel of Christ to go out to the Gentile world in power. And the truth is, you and I are here this morning because of what took place in Acts chapter 15. You may remember, when we began this book about a year ago, one of the things I told you was that the book of Acts is not simply the story of what some people did in the church 2,000 years ago. It is your and our story. It's our story even today. The things that began in Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3, are continuing today. You and I, we are part of the same church, the same believers that lived and worked and shared the gospel and took it to the corners of the earth 2,000 years ago. We're simply the next chapter. And even this afternoon, as our group goes to Colorado, they are continuing the work that we will read about here in Acts chapter 16. The result of the end of chapter 15 was great joy. And as we get started this morning, I do actually want to begin in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. The, kind of the, the effects of what we saw a couple weeks ago. Acts 15, 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him, and he sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple there was named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Lyconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now there were, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. They passed through Phrygian and Galatian region. They have been forbidden, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak to the word or speak the word in Asia. 
After they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. We're going to pause right there. As we saw last or two weeks ago, the end of chapter 15, the, the church in Jerusalem made a couple of things. And first of all, they made it known that no, you didn't have to be circumcised. No, you didn't have to obey the Jewish dietary laws, that salvation was by grace alone. Now, they also asked that the Gentiles refrain from eating meat or participating in things that were involved with the worship of idols, especially the public worship of idols. And so we saw these restrictions placed upon the Gentile believers, which really aren't that much restrictive, simply saying this, worship the one true God, be open about your worship of the one true God, and don't associate with the worship of false gods. And this was the word that was going throughout, not just Antioch, but Paul was taking this out to the, to the Gentile believers that he had ministered to some years before the first missionary journey. We saw that in Acts chapter 14. And the result was a lot of good things happening. But before we get there, I want us to look at the end of chapter 15. And we see here something that I think is, well, on the one hand, it may have been discouraging. I think to us can be encouraging. That is this. We see here a, a sharp disagreement between two godly men. I hope you didn't look past that as we read it. But Paul and Barnabas, these two men who had worked together so well uh, for so many years. You may remember that Barnabas is the one that when Paul first went to Jerusalem and everyone's still scared of him because he's the guy that was trying to kill them before. It was Barnabas who stepped up and said, no, you can trust this guy. I know God's Spirit is on this man. Let's work with him. It was Barnabas that did that. Barnabas's name uh, was actually Joseph. He, Barnabas was a nickname, means son of encouragement. Barnabas had that personality that he was an encourager. He wanted to, he looked, he wanted to see the best in you. He, he would come up alongside you and strengthen you. You wanted to be around Barnabas. Barnabas had gone with Paul up to Antioch. They had done much work in the establishing of that church in Antioch. The church in Antioch had sent them out as a team to on what we call that first missionary journey. They had gone through all kinds of things, including a near-death experience. You may remember that on the first missionary journey in Lystra, this town where Paul will come across Timothy, that Paul was uh, stoned to death, or at least they thought he was dead. They hit him with so many rocks that they assumed he was dead. They drug him out of the city, thinking he was gone, that he had no more breath in him. So Barnabas had been a part of all this. These two men are close. And yet, as they get ready to embark on another missionary venture, the Bible says they get into a sharp disagreement. In fact, you'll see that phrase in verse 39, that there occurs such a sharp disagreement. This is a strong word. It means they were arguing. There's a really good chance here. This word talks about those who are, I mean, mad. You know, you know there's mad that they're spitting mad. Y'all know the difference, right? They're spitting mad at each other. And it's all over a man by the name John Mark. 
Now, John Mark was Barnabas' nephew. So Barnabas has got a little skin in the game here, so to speak. And he wants, uh, Mark had gone with them on the first missionary journey, and they got to Cyprus, and Mark left. Now, the Bible doesn't say to us why he did. He just left. All we know is that here in chapter 16, the, uh, Luke, our author here, describes it in such a way that says that Mark abandoned them. We don't really know what happened. We don't really know who was in the wrong. But for whatever reason, Mark had left. And Paul is saying, we are not taking him next time because he left us last time. And Barnabas is saying, oh no, we got to take him. Give him another chance. He's grown up since then. And Paul's going, we're not taking him. Barbara says, yes, we are. Paul says, no, we're not. Barbara says, yes, we are. And there you go. They got mad. They argued, and the result was they split. Now, I know we tend to look at these men of Scripture, these holy men and women who, work, who God works through throughout all of the Bible, and we think to ourselves, man, I could never be like that. These are holy people who did things I could never dream of. And yet, in this instant, I go, yep, I can do that. <laughs> I can get mad. I can argue. These are flawed men. As esteemed and as much uh, dignity and honor as we may give Paul and Barnabas, and rightfully so, the truth is they are men given to anger, given to sin, given to temptation, just as you and I are. There's nothing holier or special or unique about them that doesn't also apply to you as a child of God. And these two flawed men, Angry and arguing with one another, poking and prodding one another to anger and irritation are going to end up splitting. Now, by the way, this word that we have for sharp disagreement here is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's in Hebrews chapter 10. It says that we as Christians are not supposed to forsake the gathering of ourselves together and that we would spur one another or prod one another on to good works. That word spur in Hebrews chapter 10, that word prodding one another to good works, is the same word here. It's actually generally used in the Greek language in kind of a negative sense. Strong passion, strong anger, strong, you know, um, we use the word spur. You know, if you're riding a horse, you got those spurs on your boot and you kick that horse with that spur, what does that horse do? In theory, it's supposed to do what? Do you think it's pleasant to be kicked with a spur? Do you think having some pointed round thing jabbed into your side is pleasant? Well, I'm guessing no. That's just me. Maybe you enjoy it. <laughs> that's the idea behind the word in Hebrews chapter 10. That's the word here. Now, that's just a, just, a little, just think about that. One of our jobs is to spur one another on to we're doing the right thing. That might mean that from time to time, it means to get you to do the right thing, I might have to go, Ugh. I didn't hear that amen. By the way, it works the other way around too. So, <laughs> These two men were angry at one another. The result was division. They split up. Now let's face it, this isn't a good look, is it? That these two pillars of the early church are so angry with one another that they can no longer work together. By the way, we won't hear from Barnabas again throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Not because he's a failure, not because he was wrong. He's going to go do some works in Cyprus, where he's from, by the way. He's from Cyprus. And he's going to take Mark along with him. And we're, we are going to revisit that here in just a few moments. But they split up. Paul can no longer work with the man who's called the son of encouragement. 
the man who vouched for him. We see the failings of Paul and Barnabas and even John Mark here. They have failures, they commit errors. And it's a reminder to us that the power of the church, the power of the mission that God's given the church, the power of the purpose of the church is not found in the power of human beings. As we gather this morning, as the team heads to Colorado here in just a couple hours, the power that we take with us, the purpose with which we live our lives, is not found in us. You and I, we are not bound to rely upon our own skill set, our own strengths, or try to cover up our own weaknesses. You and I are not the source of the power, of the effectiveness, of the fruit of the gospel or the church. It is God Himself. And if I find some encouragement in the fact that Paul and Barnabas had a real disagreement here, that these men who found themselves flawed and got angry with one another, if I find some encouragement, it is this, that these two men will go on to fruitful, godly, kingdom-enhancing ministry because the power of God is not in them, it's in God Himself. God is the one that's the power behind the church. If we as the First Baptist Church in London, Arkansas, if we are dependent upon... Our skill, our sinlessness, our righteousness, our good intentions, our cleverness. You and I, we're in trouble. And I'm not trying to insult you or insult myself in the process. It's got nothing to do with us. The truth is, the power of the church is not found in you and I. It's found in the Holy Spirit of God. And it was, the same, it was that way for them, and it's the same way for us, even this morning here in 2021. When we follow godly men and women, when we follow men like Paul and Barnabas, we can, if we're not careful, place them on a pedestal, give them some special sense of privilege or even holiness. It's, it's been about 13 years, so uh, 2008, I had the privilege of making a trip to South Africa. I preached in several churches for about two or three weeks. And one of the things that I came across that I found rather unsettling was I, w- I was preaching one, uh, one message on the fact that we as believers all have the indwelt Spirit of God within us. So the reality is, uh, whether you're in a pew in South Africa or in London, Arkansas, or whether you're up here where I'm at, the truth is we all have the same Spirit of God living within us. And you have the ability through the presence and through the Spirit of God to read your Scriptures and have God speak to you. You don't need me to do that. In fact, let me strongly encourage you to not depend upon me for your only source of spiritual food. Hopefully you're reading your Scriptures on a daily basis, praying and reading and studying. But one thing I came across was I was speaking to that point. And the pastor came up to me afterwards and said, you're confusing the people. I went, what do you mean? He goes, well, they're used to being told, a lot of them come out of different backgrounds, different false religions, and they're used to the idea that there is the spiritual leader and they got to do whatever he says to do and that they can't understand on their own. And he goes, they're, they're not sure what, they had, what to do with this. He said, they're, they're just, you know, they're, they're going to depend on anything you say. And that, that actually kind of unsettled me a little bit. Well, I don't get up here for you to ignore me. (laughs) I want you to check even what I say or what a Sunday school teacher says or what some of you hear on TV. Check those guys against the Scripture. Don't take it for example. Don't take it for granted that we are errorless. We are not errorless. 
despite perhaps the best of our intentions. And neither were Paul and Barnabas. We must not put men and women on pedestals. Now, it doesn't mean we should be cynical and ignore everything that's being said either. Don't, don't, don't take that away from it. But we need to be walking with the Lord in such a way that we're studying the Scriptures on our own and, and, and are familiar with who God is on our own, not just through another. It means that we acknowledge that God has placed someone in leadership, but that those who God's placed in leadership, even if their names are Paul and Barnabas, will sometimes make mistakes and need the same grace and patience that all of us need. I need it as well. So we have flawed men. And yet, through these flawed men, God will execute a flawless, spirit-led mission. The result, even though the division they had seems to be um, something we would frown upon, God takes this, this, takes this division, and the result is now there's not one mission team, but there are, in fact, two. And God will use both these situations. In fact, I will draw your attention to this idea. John Mark, who Paul was so angry with here, he wouldn't even let go with him. Later on, we will see through the letters of Paul that he and Mark actually become reconciled. And in fact, where do we know Mark from? Well, he's the writer of the Gospel of Mark. That's the same John Mark. And in fact, also what we see here is that Paul will encounter Timothy, and later on he will encounter, we'll see down there in verse 10, uh, let me just draw your attention to this real quick, Acts 16, verse 10, you will see that there's a slight change in the narration here. The first part of uh, uh, verse 10 talks about how it wasn't that Paul or they were sent out, it says that we were sent out. What happens in verse 10 is that Paul has encountered and met a guy by the name of Luke. And Luke will travel and be discipled by Paul. And so as a result of this division, even though division wasn't perhaps of God in and of itself, God will redeem that division. And in the end, Mark will become an author of the Gospel of Mark. Paul will meet Timothy. And Paul will also encounter and disciple a man by the name of Luke, who ends up writing the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. You never know what God's going to do when he redeems our sin, when he works through flawed people in his flawless purposes. So we have a flawless mission here as they prepare. As Paul goes one direction, as Barnabas goes another direction, he's going to accomplish some things. So Barnabas, or Paul takes off. He goes through and repeats through some of the cities that they went through on the first missionary journey and what we might think of as South Central, uh, modern day, the modern day nation would be Turkey we call Asia Minor. So they're traveling through South Central there. They're, and Paul's intention is to head all the way to the West Coast. But as he's doing so, something happens that he's not expecting. Now, before we get to that, I do want to address one more thing here. Paul encounters a young man by the name of Timothy in Lystra. Now, Timothy, we know that. We, he's got a couple of books named after him. Paul got, wrote a couple of letters to Timothy, and we have those in First and Second Timothy later on in the New Testament. And Paul encounters Timothy here. Now, what's interesting about this is that Timothy's mother is Jewish. His father was Greek, and it reads as if, for whatever reason, Timothy's father's not around. Perhaps he had died. So Timothy is half Jewish, half Greek. But he's been raised to know the God of Scripture. He's been raised in the Jewish faith. 
And he was apparently converted, perhaps in Paul's first missionary journey at Lystra as a younger man. Either way, he gets there and Timothy has grown into a young man that they go, we want to take this guy with us on the rest of this missionary journey. And Paul says, okay, we're going to do that, but we're going to circumcise Timothy. Now, if you're reading this and paying attention to it, you're going all that went before this, you're going, now, wait a minute. Didn't we just in chapter 15 get it figured out that we don't need circumcision? What's going on, Paul? It seems that Paul, who has fought and spoken directly against the idea of circumcision being needed, the first thing he does with Timothy is do what? Circumcise him. If Paul was around in today's social media world, he would have created a major firestorm in Jerusalem and Antioch because they would have called him a hypocrite, back, back, uh, uh, you know, walking it all backwards. You say one thing here, you do nothing there. And he would have gotten just nailed for this. Paul, how dare you do exactly the opposite of what you said back here in Jerusalem just a few months before this? Is Paul, in fact, a hypocrite? Is he going back on his word? Is he doing the exact opposite of all that he's been arguing for? Is he now rescinding or going back on this idea of a gospel of grace? I want to read for you Galatians chapter 5. And this is Paul writing to some Christians in the general area that they are going through during this time period. He says, he says this in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive a circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything but faith working through love. Now, let me just sum that up. Paul says, circumcision doesn't do a thing. It's meaningless. In fact, if you're relying upon circumcision and the keeping of the law to save you, he says, you're separated from Christ and you are in deep trouble. So how can Paul write that and then turn around and ask Timothy to be circumcised? This doesn't seem to make any sense, does it? Unless we understand Paul's logic. First of all, I mentioned a while ago that Timothy is half Greek, half Jewish. So clearly he's not been circumcised at this point. So he is considered by those who are Jewish to be Jewish because his mother is Jewish. So he is considered to be by those in the Jewish synagogue to be Jewish. And because he's not circumcised, the Jewish people, not the believers, not the Christians, but just the Jewish, the Jewish culture, the Jewish folks in the synagogue, those who follow God, are going to see Timothy as an apostate, as someone who has rejected God because despite the fact he's Jewish, he's not circumcised. So the Jews that we referred to here in Acts chapter 16 aren't necessarily the church the believing Jews, they are the unsaved Jews, the ones who have not yet accepted Christ. And they would see Timothy, because he is Jewish but not circumcised, as an apostate, as a dog, as someone who is not worth their attention at all. That they would want to throw him out altogether. And so, guess what Paul's main missionary uh, uh, formula has been? We've seen it. What does Paul usually do the first time he goes to a new town? He finds what? the Jewish synagogue. 
and he begins to preach Christ at the synagogue. And generally what happens is he gets some converts there, then the other ones get riled up, and he has to go somewhere else and start the church somewhere else. That's kind of the pattern. So knowing this, if Paul takes Timothy with him, is Timothy going to have any audience, or is Paul, because he's associated with Timothy, going to have any audience to preach gospel, to preach the gospel in a Jewish synagogue? The answer is no. Timothy will have no uh, audience. He won't even be allowed in. So the circumcision that Paul is giving to Timothy, the reason is not because Timothy needs it to be saved. The reason that Timothy will be circumcised is so that he can get into a Jewish synagogue and preach the gospel. Did Timothy have to be circumcised? No. Timothy gets circumcised for one reason only, so that he can better have an opportunity to preach the gospel. This is the background to Paul's statement uh, elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 9, I believe it is, where he says, I become all things to all men so that by God's grace I might reach some. This is the background to that. In fact, I want to read this for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says this in this kind of a context. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Paul says this, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though my, not myself being under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may not be, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. This is what Timothy is doing. Timothy didn't have to be circumcised for any spiritual reasons. He didn't have to be circumcised to attain salvation. In fact, if some Jew had said, well, Timothy has to be circumcised or he can't be saved, Paul would have stood up and argued that violently. But what Timothy is doing is saying this, even though I don't have to go through this procedure, even though I don't have to go through this pain, I will do it if it means I can share the gospel. Do you see the heart for the Lord in this passage? Paul may have been flawed. He may have had his problems. He may have had his issues like you and I do. But his passion is for the gospel to go out. And he will even do stuff like this. And so will Timothy if it means they get an audience. They will give up their rights. Paul even uses the word slave. He says he will enter into slavery. He will do like this. He will do these things if it means I can share the gospel. Now, Paul is not giving up the gospel. He's not compromising the gospel. He's not compromising the truth. He's not compromising or putting away anything that's necessary to be a disciple of God. What he is doing is setting aside the things that are unnecessary. And you and I, it's amazing how many times we can unintentionally get tripped up in sharing the gospel on things. We get tripped up on things that aren't really that necessary. We find ourselves hanging on to things that we like, that we prefer, that we're comfortable with, that maybe are even part of our culture, and we let those things get in the way of us sharing the gospel with those who do not know Christ. And there could be any number of things. The reality is, most of what our culture values and prizes is not of the Scripture. Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 9, I do all this, every decision I make, everything I do, I do for the sake of the gospel. And I'm wondering... 
in myself, and I'm wondering about you this morning, is everything we do done for the sake of the gospel? Or do we hang on to things because we just like them? Or because that's the way we've always done them? Or because someone else said? When you guys go to Colorado this week, I pray that every decision you make will be done for the sake of the gospel of grace. Timothy says, if I have to give this up so that I can preach the gospel, I'll do it. Even circumcision is less important than the opportunity to share the gospel. So Timothy does this. And they go to, they, they proceed on to the new work, and something happens that they probably don't expect, and that is that God does not let them go to certain places. Can you imagine this? God, all we want to do is take the gospel someplace that hasn't been preached before, and let's go over here. And God says no. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how God said no. I don't know how it happened. I'm not going to speculate. All I know is this. As Paul and his group tried to go different places, the Holy Spirit said no. And so they try to go west to an area called Asia, which is the southwest corner of that Asia Minor Peninsula, and God said no. They tried to go north to a place called Bithynia, and God said no. And in between here and in between there, there is this little pathway to a place called Troas, and that's where they end up going. But can you imagine this? God, we want to go here to tell people about you, and God says, nope, don't go. Now, that's probably not what Paul was expecting. It wouldn't be what I, was, I would have expected. God, I, I want to go share the gospel. Can I, I want to go over here. And God says, no, don't go there. What? I'm, I'm confused, Lord. Isn't this what we're supposed to be doing? We know Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 15. It was his ambition, Romans 15, 20. Paul says it's his, it's his ambition, it's his aspiration to take the gospel to places that hasn't been preached before. Paul sees some place that hasn't been preached to before. I want to go, and God says, over here. But no, over here, Paul. So Paul does. Now, what's happening here? Well, I'll, I'll say this. I'm sure Alan has gone over this with the, uh, with the missions team. One of those cliched phrases about doing missions. Be, oh, did they, did they, know, this, did they know this, Alan? Be flexible. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> Be flexible. Uh, I've yet to go on a mission trip. Youth trip, adult trip, stateside, international, that went as planned. Never seen it happen. In 30 years, I've never seen it happen. Be flexible. Be ready for God to do something unexpected. Be ready for something to appear to not go right, to not be able to do something you wanted or thought you were supposed to be able to do, and then God opens up something different over here. And here's the exciting thing about that. We may think at first, wait a minute, we had this plan, we prepared, we're ready to do this. This is what's on the, this is what's on the itinerary. We can't stray from the itinerary. <laughs> Paul's going, I've got this whole map thing laid out. I know where we're supposed to go. Uh, Silas, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this. Timothy, you're jumping in here. We're going to go here. And then God says, oh, itinerary change. But, but it says this on the paper. We can't, ver- we can't. <laughs> Happens all the time. And the exciting thing about that is this. When that happens, perk those ears up. Get the antenna out. Because when that happens, that means that God's got something else in store. And he's, he's said to you, Guess what? I'm about to do something, and you're going to get to be in the middle of it. That's what that means. Well, that's not what I planned. It's okay. Your plans are flawed because you, like me, were flawed. 
God's purpose and His mission is flawless. So when He changes your plan, that's God saying, oh, I know you meant well, but here's something good to come over here. You want to be a part of this. So be flexible this week, because at some point during the week, you guys are in Colorado, at some point, something different is going to happen. Maybe two of you are going to get irritated with one another because you're sleeping in the same room for the next four or five nights and it's 95 degrees outside. Maybe the backyard Bible club doesn't get started or the, whatever the project is doesn't get started on time. Maybe someone, does, maybe someone doesn't like your servant evangelism project. Whatever it might be. It might be that they, at some point, Johnny and Alan get together and go, hey, we're going to do something completely different we didn't even talk about. Who knows? When that happens, that's God going, oops. <laughs> I, got, I got too excited there. I laid my arms too far. That's God going, I'm about to do something. You want to be part of it. He tells Paul, Silas, nope, you're not going over here. Come over here. Paul didn't plan on Troas. He didn't plan on Macedonia, which is, by the way, across the sea to Greece, and it will be the, the moving of the gospel from Asia to Europe. Paul didn't plan on that at this point in time, and yet that was God's plan. A flawed man, yes. A flawless mission, absolutely. By the way, we have made plans here. 2020 was not in our plans. I don't think 2020 was in anybody's plans. But God did some things in the midst of all that. Some of you have had some incredible spiritual journeys over the last, over the last year. You've learned a lot. God's done some neat things. And God's presented us, presented us as a church with some, as an opportunity to do some things. We're excited about the mission trip. There's, there's another one to Kansas City later on this summer. Vacation Bible School coming up here just a couple of weeks from now, by the way. We've already been talking about one day, which didn't happen last fall like the way we planned. It's going to happen hopefully this fall if the Lord allows us to do that. And that being said, I know many of you signed up for one day last summer. We didn't actually end up doing it. You need to sign up again to do it this coming fall. I don't know what that one-year delay means. I know one thing. I was excited about what God was going to do through one day in the Russellville, London area last fall. And why it got postponed for a year, I have no idea. Other than this, it must be part of God's flawless mission, which means, folks, we don't want to miss it this year. By the way, when we get done with the worship service, there is on, there's a table out there in front of the doors. It's a sign-up sheet to participate in one day, the one-day missions opportunity coming up October 2nd. Please don't walk out those doors without signing up for something. If we run out of, paces, if we run out of sheets of paper, we'll just turn it over side and we'll, we'll make do. We've got VBS planned. I'm pretty sure at some point VBS won't go as planned. That's all right. You want to be there because you don't want to miss what God's going to do when He changes His plans. You may have your Sunday afternoon. You may have your Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday planned out this week. At some point during the week, something different may happen. And you may want to realize, oh, God might be doing something. I don't want to miss this. And instead of looking at the change in your plans as, as a negative, look at them as a positive. Look at what it is that God might be wanting to do through that change in plans, through His flawless purpose for your life. The circumstances of Acts 16 lead some interesting twists that probably weren't planned. Paul and Barnabas getting into a fight. Mark and Barnabas going one direction, Paul, Silas going another direction. But as I said before, they all get reconciled. Mark ends up writing the Gospel of Mark. 
Luke, who Paul will meet on his journey, along with Timothy, will end up writing the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. We never know what will happen when we choose to abandon our plans and follow the plans of the Lord. We never know what might happen when even things don't go the way we want them, even when we find ourselves flawed, that God redeems those flaws and does something unexpected. You and I, we are flawed. We are sinful. And even when we mean well, we often make mistakes. And maybe we don't even know what we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do. But the mission of our Lord is flawless. And whether we're on a mission trip to Colorado or to Troas in Macedonia, or whether we are simply at work tomorrow, God has a mission and a purpose for us to take the gospel to those who do not know it. And the truth is, if you're paying attention this week, if you pray and ask the Lord for those opportunities this week, more than like, more likely than not, He will give you the opportunity sometime in the next several days to speak to someone about the overwhelming grace of God. And let me tell you, there's fewer thrills that will top sharing the gospel with someone who does not know Christ. Yes, we're flawed, but God's mission is flawless if we simply trust and follow.